and perfect dharma is rarely met with even in a hundred thousand million kalpas having it to see and listen to to remember and accept i vow to taste the truth of the tathagata's words Good morning, everybody. It's November. I've got an extra hour to play with. So what I uh, wanted to do for my talk this morning depends on you all, basically. I mean, first of all, I definitely want to just put it out there. Is there anything you'd like me to speak about? Uh, but then after we've touched those bases, uh, I'll, I'll come back to Genjo Koan. And I have uh, any of a couple of places in Genjo Koan that I can go to. However, uh, Aside from any general interests you might have to, that uh, you'd like to have spoken to this morning, uh, once we get through that, I, if there's any se section of Genjo Koan that you'd like me to, uh, to kind of focus on this morning, I'm happy to do that. I've got a couple of possibilities that... Uh, that are of interest to me and that I've spoken on in the past. Uh, in some instances, the past, uh, a very distant past, almost a Kalpa ago. But uh, nonetheless, the interest is still there. Uh, so uh, either way, we'll, we'll uh, find something to, uh, to talk about this morning. But first of all, anything given the fact, especially that we're, I recognize we're just two days out now from, uh, from a very important day. So if there's anything that you'd like to have spoken to this morning, let's begin there and then we'll, uh, we'll look at Dogen. All right. Well, that's good. Everybody's feeling pretty grounded and centered for for Tuesday. It's the power of the practice. <laughs> so, uh, and actually, uh, but before I, I uh, go there, uh, let's shift then to to Genjo Koan. Uh, and I realize I, I didn't uh, do you the, the uh, courtesy of, of, uh, of giving you any heads up on this. Uh, so unless you're, you're still pretty feeling pretty well versed on Genjo Koan from, from uh, your study of whatever depth prior to the uh, Sashin last month. Uh, but if there's any segment 
that that is you know kind of in your mind that you'd like to have spoken to uh let's go there and if not there are uh two places that are of unique interest to me. The one I spoke to most recently, I guess this was about a year and a half ago, uh, was the section that where, he's, and this uh, comes before the section that I spoke to during Denkaway. I was dealing with the uh, the fish in the water and the bird in the sky. Uh, but right before that, immediately before it, uh, there's the, the section that says aspect, and this is using the, uh, the translation, a rather unique, in some ways, idiosyncratic uh, translation that that they use in the Jokoji chant book, which I kind of like. Uh, so that's the one I, I'm gonna work from this morning. It's, it's a short paragraph uh, that says, aspects of this dusty life, as well as a pure life, are perceived only to the extent that practice and the eye of insight will penetrate. In our understanding of things, as well as being round or square, the ocean may manifest in infinite variety. There are worlds there in all directions. There are worlds also within us and worlds even in one drop of water. So that, uh, really connected with me. And then the first uh, Dogen talk I ever gave, which was also the first Dharma talk I ever gave. It's not fair to have to dive in for the first time with Dogen, but that was my task nonetheless. Uh, but at least I got to choose the topic from the entire corpus of, of Dogen's work. I could pick what I was going to talk about. And actually the closing section of Genjo Koan always really resonated pretty deeply with me. That's the one about uh, the monk and, uh, and his teacher, Baoji. Uh, and the thing about Baoji fanning himself. So that was my first talk. And that still speaks pretty deeply to me as well. So I can uh, go with with either one of those, uh, and actually, uh, they both kind of ultimately, no surprise, interconnect. Uh, but maybe the one thing about the uh, the first one that I I, I did uh, when I spoke to that a year and a half ago. I, I went there connecting it to a line of Sandokai, the merging of difference and unity. And since with our December Sashin, uh, we're gonna return to looking at Sandokai through the, 
the uh, words of, of Suzuki Roshi. So maybe, maybe I'll go there. So let's, let's just start off then with, uh, with the Sandokai section that I'm going to connect to the section of Genjo Koan I just shared with you. It, it comes early on, so it's already been, uh, been covered back in uh, June when we had our first go around with branching streams flow into darkness. And we had six different Sangha members each giving uh, one of the talks. And the section that I wanna start from is, is the one that says, again, using the uh, Jokoji translation, all the objects of the senses interact and yet do not. Interacting brings involvement. Otherwise, each keeps its place. Four lines. And it's one of those lines that really reached out to me in connection with Genjo Koan. And that's the line that says, interacting brings involvement. And of course, a condition to, to that interaction. So we should begin there. All the objects of the, of the senses interact and yet do not. So, and I think, Jeff, this was the section you covered? Or, no? Okay, okay, okay. Because the, uh, I, I, I just had that recollection because I remember Jeff talking about the, uh, the J's and the senses interacting, uh, you know, kind of Suzuki's teaching about uh, bringing the J into your heart and be really becoming intimate and one with, with it uh, could also apply to these lines. The objects of the senses interacting, our being with the world and the experiences we have with the world and those experiences that we then distill into the various objects of the world. And the way that, that we do connect and interact with them. The interacting brings involvement. That all of a sudden, it just kind of struck me uh, what, how insightful that that is about how we engage in our lives. And it's probably why the teaching of being with by that 20th, well, our contemporary French philosopher uh, resonated with me because it's pointing to the same place. The interactions we have from that ultimately uh, the richness of our life 
comes forth because the interacting brings involvement. We're not isolated beings. Down to our very core, we are being with. We are involved, we are interacting. At all times, even if we've got alone time, that as Zen practitioners, obviously we all have that time. That's still interacting, being with. The practice of zazen is being with. It's sitting with. So here's where our life, kind of the origin of life. And I don't mean like the temporal, like, like birth being the origin of life or, or conception being the origin of life. I mean the origin of life that's going on moment after moment after moment. That's always coming from this involvement, the interacting. And it's through the involvement that we find enrichment. So one of the reasons why the practice resonates with us is because it allows us to more deeply experience that involvement which gets to the core of our being, being with, being involved, each in our own way. But interacting, looked at a little more broadly, is something that we, within our lives, because it's so enriching, we tend to be very interactive. If we look at where we are currently as a society, as a culture, in whatever way, whatever perspective, you want to take on that. It's really, I, I see it as, as being predicated on this very energetic pursuit of interacting and involvement. So just to take one example, you know, somebody who, who has a scientific bent and as a student decides to devote themselves in that fashion. The interaction with you know, the physical nature of reality and the involvement 
that that then leads to and the connections, the interactions and the involvements just it's like it from a networking metaphor, the lines start to cross in so many different ways to different points. And the enrichment starts to sink in. So that student then sometimes goes on to become a teacher themselves. That energizes them. It's what keeps them engaged with it day after day after day. So that becomes kind of their Dharma vehicle. But it, I think, shakes back to this interacting brings involvement. And that's obviously not the only way that one can, uh, can interact in the world. So many ways. And when a path kind of unfolds before one, now we can flip back to Genjo Koan and Dogen's uh, paragraph that I just shared with you. And the one term that gets repeated several times in here is about worlds. There are worlds there in all directions. There are worlds also within us and worlds even in one drop of water. So what are, what are these worlds? What is this thing that's being pointed to? And I, the connection I saw was, was that between the interactions and that involvement and the worlds that then get created within our lives. And that's why uh, Dogen went on with his various way, ways of pointing to where we find worlds. In the case of an ocean, every direction we look at, looking to find details about that ocean. There are worlds there. In all directions. And there are worlds within us. Certainly the practice of Zaza and the study of self brings that to our attention, brings it into the light for us to see the worlds that are within us. And we can condense it down. The fact that there are everywhere, the myriad worlds, worlds even in one drop of water, terms of contemporary physics, the multiverse. OK. 
kind of pointing to a similar phenomenon. The fact that uh, actually this, you know, we're, we're certainly engaged in the search for other planets in this universe that might have life. So we recognize there are other worlds, so to speak, more than likely in this universe, but uh, uh, even more expansively, this notion that's, uh, that's really get, gaining some traction, it seems that uh, there are likely uh, countless, boundless numbers of universes. This this sort of notion, I think, is contained in Genjo Koa and Dogen talking about worlding. And what generates a creation of worlding? Because in contemporary thought, you know, this is a term worlding that that arose in the 20th century and is still very much uh, alive and thriving in the 21st century. This sense of, of our engagement in the world is, an engage, is a worlding engagement where we create our world and in a Buddhist sense also recognize that it's essentially the world worlding itself. Worlding can be seen as this complex and very dynamic assemblage of ever-renewing realities, sensations, perceptions. Because it is an assemblage. That's part of worlding is to see things in their interconnectedness. It's what makes, takes them from being these individual objects to being parts of, of a world. One very important thinker of the 20th century who spoke at some length about worlding said, emphasized that worlding is not of our own making. So that it could be seen as being, well, this is just some subjective thing that's, uh, that's happening, which brings us back to this dualistic uh, view of subject object and worlding then would be a, a subjective act. But rather, it's a matter of responsiveness to things based on interaction, involvement. So it's that's why it can ultimately be seen as, as 
the universe realizing itself, the myriad things coming forth to realize themselves, as Dogen expresses it in Genjo Koan. It's not the self going forth to experience the myriad things, to put them into a world, create a world. The world is essentially creating, reproducing, maintaining itself as a world that includes us. And we can perceive it, can experience it. And we, through that experience and the interacting and involvement that's contained within it, we have these uh, inputs, we could call them, start to look at it in a more systems type way, these inputs that provide the basis for new outputs. So the, the worlds that Dogen was speaking of and that we speak of currently are very much alive. They're very organic. They're not fixed. Actually, the, the Buddhist teachings of impermanence are very germane to this description of worlds. The scientific world, very dynamic, ever-changing. But that's true for every other world. And it's important to see that. That's kind of one of the key insights in Buddhism. Because through seeing that, we're not as apt to cling and grasp. That we can realize how our sense of world orients us, it effectively is a way of allowing us to engage, interact with the world without being overwhelmed by the world's complexity. So the worlds that we live with, like this, the, the world of science, key component of science's drive towards uh, more effective theories is to be able to organize the vast complexity of reality. This is worlding all worlding that we're engaged in, even outside of the, the scientific realm, which is pretty methodical about it, usually. But, uh, but all of our attempts to create 
a world is just that. I mean, our, our uh, creation of social units from families to communities, to corporations, to, to governments is seeking to reduce the complexity that we find ourselves in. So our worlds take shape and we find regularities there. And these regularities, these worlds are, as I suggested earlier, they are uh, self-reproducing, self-maintaining. But because of impermanence, constant flow and change, this is their organic nature is that they do evolve. That's part of the natural order of things as well. So if we look back, especially those of us a little bit older uh, at at the field of education in our society and how it was designed largely to equip us for just that kind of world. And I'm speaking here, of course, about uh, the importance of a liberal arts education to get a sense of these various worlds. The historical world, the scientific world, the world of the arts, that it was important to have a, a multidisciplined grounding in worlding and that in so far as you, that was part of your educational experience, you could then go forth into the world, into your life, better equipped to navigate your way through it, as opposed to just becoming fixed in one world, one world view. Actually, all of these academic disciplines are, you know, with history. Just if that was your only discipline. The point is to learn the lessons of history, to learn that other nations have followed very different paths 
to get a sense again of these various ways of worlding. Whole worlds are there everywhere we turn, every direction. There are worlds. Whether it's the Hubble Space Telescope that you're looking through, or just our experience right here on good old planet Earth. What we've done over the course of for recorded history, what, I don't know, about 3,000 years or so. Blink, a blink in the entire, in deep time, entire expanse. But in that blink, how many worlds are created? To have that recognition is a very, maybe the way to enter into shunyata and to be able to let go. Just that, that's it, to be able to let go. No, no longer go through life clinging, clinging and grasping. And recognizing that while some, if not all of the worlds that we current, that currently make up our lives, and we each have our own unique worlds, they share a lot in common with the rest of us, but they, they have their own unique contours. Just like Dogen pointed out, you know, even in a drop of water, is a world, let alone in each individual. There are myriad worlds, not just one world. And all of these worlds, as I pointed to earlier, help reduce the complexity. Remember the basic teaching of Shunyata points to the boundless nature of all things. There's ultimately no limit, no boundaries. There's, so you can't possibly get your arms around it entirely. Not that sort of thing. So our worlding is a very essential aspect of our functioning to be able to, to manage that kind of complexity. To be able to generate this sense of meaning, even though ultimately from the standpoint of shunyata, there's no meaning with a capital M. But with our, our worlds, we get that sense. But 
with the wisdom of shunyata, we understand that it's not to be clung to, not to be grasped onto. But it does help us in our life, as long as we don't cling and grasp to it. That we remain just as those worlds themselves are, alive, organic, and open to what's arising. Rather than using these worlds to just completely enclose what's coming in. They can help us order the input, but with an open hand and open through the wisdom Dogen's trying to uh, to impart to us, open to seeing the, the vast number of worlds within each of these worlds. So they are very nested. And again, it all originates from interacting brings involvement. So it really is, as Sakito expresses it in Sandokai, it's a natural outgrowth of being with and the interacting that arises therefrom. As soon as that happens, everything else follows. And then one of the reasons why we as homo sapiens became so adept at interacting was because of our development and ultimate mastery, I think we can call it, of, of language, of communication, which is greatly enriched the quality of our interacting, both with each other, but also with, with our lives. Because we can now communicate with others about these shared experiences. So a tradition like Zen can be passed on. Even though it's, it, it transcends words, words have always been a key part of it. And I'm quite confident they'll continue to be. So it's through our language that, that worlds are able to more effectively reproduce and maintain themselves. Language is a real key element of that. 
So one way ultimately of seeing this notion of world is to see it as a totality that's made up of the totality of, of our involvements. Interacting brings involvement. So our world, when we roll them all into the meta world is the totality of involvements. And if we, if we have that sense, if we just open ourselves up to what that involves, we get a taste for the complexity that I've been speaking about. So that the, the uh, second, third, fourth order of worlds that go into our master world are mechanisms to help manage the vast complexity. also known uh, sometimes as the stories we tell ourselves. You know, even science, which is usually seen as something completely different than stories, which is more the arts. Science is part of the stories we tell ourselves. They just have a different source for those stories. but they're all stories and they all serve this purpose of ordering our existence. The, from the earliest myths, we're doing just this sort of thing. So this rich, rich teaching of Dogen's about worlds, whole worlds are there everywhere you turn. Is a way kind of like for those of you, and I, I suspect nobody in here, including me, I know, has never read the entire Flower Ornament Sutra. I've made a big dent in it, but not even half of it. It's a big book. That's heavy slogging, but the Flower Ornament Sutra is kind of the, the text of uh, interdependence. Indra's net. So that's really what's being described here by Dogen with the worlds. To bring it back to a, a more widely known Buddhist teaching, Indra's net is a good place. And each of those diamonds can be seen as a world. And the whole vast thing, all that reflection back and forth could be seen as the master world. But there's so much complexity there. Obviously, 
we need to break it down. Maybe a region of, of, of mirrors we could work with. And that's effectively what we do. And actually with our trend towards ever increasing specialization, you know, it's no longer just biology. Now there's cellular biology, ecological biology. I don't know how many different sub-disciplines there might be, but it's a boatload, many, <laughs> myriad. And it's pointing to this, uh, this fact of, of, uh, of worlds within worlds. And of course, biology is then intersecting with all the other sciences, chemistry, physics, geology. and spinning off worlds of its own. It's the nature of this existence. Worlds upon worlds. So Dogen really had it nailed when he's talking about worlds everywhere, including in this drop of water, this drop of coffee. So that's why after, after a teaching like that, you get to the end of the Genjo Koan and this thing about fanning, fanning himself. How, how, do, you, how do you work with that? <laughs> He's laid out uh, quite, quite a, a view of, of, uh, of, of the, the, the master world. So, of course, uh, I'm not going to spend too much time on the last section. We could do that another time. But, of course, important uh, just to recognize that the whole thing about fanning himself is about practice. Yeah. And the nature of the wind being permanent. Uh, there's nowhere it doesn't reach. Well, that's, that's the Dharma. So it's pointing to that... Uh, conundrum that supposedly led uh, Dogen to, to travel to China and seek his true teacher was based on the Buddhist teaching that, uh, that all beings have Buddha nature. So if, if that's true, then why do you practice? So the, the metaphor of the, the fanning is just about practice. That without practice, even though Dharma is, is ever present, just like worlds are all around us. But without the practice, we're completely oblivious. No understanding, no appreciation. And the hindrances take over because the hindrances are rooted in our sense of self. 
So this teaching of worlds is connecting us intimately with all these worlds, not just some. You know, we may be actively engaged because of our awareness, our mindful practice. We may be actively engaged with certain worlds to the exclusion of others. But through the practice, we're aware of what's missing, that there are myriad worlds. So that as those appear in front of us, we're there. We're, we're connected. It happens immediately because of that prajna that we carry with us. We can't actively engage all the worlds at the same time, but we can have the awareness that they're there. And that's what Dogen's pointing to in Genjo Koa. He's saying, hey, This is an important way to see reality helps to open up for your wisdom eye, the vast complexity of, of the whole thing. And through that openness to reality, to become, to fully become part of it, seeing your true nature, because that's you. So that's why it was important when Dogen said about worlds that they're within us. That's our nature. And these worlds, as I've indicated, are just widely interconnected, just like Indra's net. They're not exclusive, separate beings. They're just ways of, of seeing reality so we can manage the complexity. But we need to understand that we're not just creating lots of, of beings out there. So the fact that they're empty, they're totally interdependent with all the other worlds, as are we. And that's why we practice. so that we don't lose that insight that it's with us always. So I think I'll stop there.
Dean, thank you um, for connecting the dots between Sando Kai and Genjo Koan. That was helpful. And I like that because there's all the, in the worlding process, so to speak, um, there's all these pieces. And uh, it's nice uh, to have those connections um, right in front of us. I like that. Yeah. I find it helpful. Uh, and of course, I need to inject here Rannigan in her role as playwright. She gets to create worlds too. That's one of the beautiful things. And uh, and uh, uh, she'll uh, be doing a reading uh, or one of her uh, these ten minute plays that that readings are being done of. Uh, by ensemble theater. I, I finally did get to uh, see both yours and Ed's uh, a few days ago. I enjoyed them a lot. Uh, well, thank created you. some awesome. some rich worlds there. So I'm thank looking you. forward to the ones coming up uh, this week. Um, what I think about that is that through these teachings, we're all really playwrights. Um, and we work with what's right in front of us and that becomes our world. And so in many ways, I think we're all playwrights. Um, but I found this really valuable. And I also wanted to mention when you were talking about science, I happened to see, Ed and I happened to see a show on um, NOVA about how they are recycling carbon uh, and they should, I, I want to go back and watch it again because it was late. And I don't think I took it all in. I'm hoping I can find it again, but it's, it's fascinating all the things that are going on um, yeah. in the different realms of science. And um, I just see that application to what you were saying. Yeah. Yeah, in fact, that, that Nova show I mentioned on Thursday night, and that led to a couple of uh, recommendations, uh, one of them by, uh, by Joe and another one by Sean for other uh, things. Uh, the one that Joe recommended is on Netflix, Kiss the Earth. And I, I, um, I didn't get to listen to the the your teaching Thursday night that I missed. So um, I'll, I'll take some notes. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Kiss the Earth is, a, is on that same, along those lines, uh, but it's, it's, uh, it's focused on the soil and, and uh, its role as a carbon sink. You know, the vegetation, that's why trees, uh, uh, you know, they, we know that their respiratory process, they breathe in, so to speak, carbon dioxide and breathe out oxygen, which is nice for mammals like us because we breathe in oxygen, and breathe out carbon dioxide. So our worlds really mat match up so nicely. So if we've got an excess of carbon, you know, we've got uh, the vegetation, the plant world and the soil that it lives in. Uh, that are there uh, saying, well, use us, you know, <laughs> use us wisely. 
don't abuse us like with industrial agriculture. So that's kind of the message of that film. And uh, I really appreciate Joe's uh, having uh, suggested it. I, I was able to watch it and thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. It's, it's, uh, it's one I recommend to everybody for sure. Ranigan, uh, another program that I've been watching uh, that I recommended on Thursday night, it's called The Nature of Earth. It's on PBS. Uh, it's actually on after the NOVA program, but you can see it. Uh, and it's actually focusing on what man can do uh, to change their uh, interaction with this planet. Uh, and it's very interesting. It goes all around the world and shows what are doing uh, to uh, help this recuperate from what we've done to it. Thank uh, you for that. Changes to farming and maintain forests and That's another one of BS. Great, thank you. Yeah. Hi, Dean. Hi, Mark. Sorry, I was on mute. <clears throat> uh, thank you. I really appreciate this discussion today. Um, I don't know if I have a question, but I kept thinking as you were talking about disappearing worlds and um, whether it's like personal disappearing worlds. Um, for example, You know, if um, if we're really anxious or stressed out over a particular um, situation, like it seems like a whole bunch of uh, outside worlds drop away, and we end up like only being able to focus on, you know, whatever the um, the situation at hand might be. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in a way, it's a good thing on that level because you have to, you know, focus on um, whether it's an emergency or um, I, I guess it, it can be a little troublesome when it's just some sort of um, obsessive type of issue that you're dealing with. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, 
which can cause mental health issues. And, um, and, and then I was thinking also about obviously what we've been talking about a lot is the um, climate crisis and, um, you know, the, the corresponding disappearing worlds of plants and animals in our, in, right. in our world. Um, so, and how our, our practice has helped me be more aware of, you know, the uh, disappearing worlds of, and, and all the worlds as far as um, what's going on with, with the climate crisis. And, um, <clears throat> and I don't know, I was just thinking about how the different viewpoints like you know, especially in this, this um, with the election coming up, and um, how critical mass of people can 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 I guess see things? You know, two different critical masses of people. Mm-hmm are sort of like coming at heads and like one critical mass of people see things in a completely different way um, than another another critical mass. I was watching last night Judge Janine for like, I could stand it for about 10 minutes. And I, it's it's on Fox and Friends and, but, Mm I, it was really interesting and not to like get all political, but it was really, really eye opening for me because earlier in the day um, on another uh, mainstream news source, I heard about a care of uh, a Biden Harris bus in Texas that was surrounded by a bunch of Trump supporting um, uh trucks and I, you know, I, apparently they forced the Biden Harris bus freeway or it, and so there was that new source like it was um, like that world was was such a, a bad negative perspective and then on this program that I was watching with this judge Janine they were like you know ta- they were like cheering these people on that it was a good thing that they were out there that they have that much support um that it, so I I don't know I just um was thinking about that and you know just these different worlds that we're coming from and um, how I, I guess the, um, for me, my, the practice helps me see things and I, you know, helps me expand my worldview and, mm-hmm. and, and try to educate myself and, um, and then on the other hand, I see um, a mass of people who uh, just 
I don't know whether it's, I was thinking whether it's out of ignorance or disbelief or what news they're feeding themselves. Um, apparently a lot of people get their news from Facebook uh, nowadays, or like that's their only source. Mm. But, um, and then on the other hand, I'm thinking, well, maybe they're just practicing being with <laughs> the way things are on the other side, as far yeah. as all these disappearing worlds. But I, I don't know. I think it's more of the ignorance. Anyhow, I, I won't go on, but I, I think that was um, just my, my uh, takeaway from, from your talk. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know, maybe if I did have a question, it'd be something maybe you could talk a little bit about um, Sandicut, the Sakito perspective on di- disappearing worlds, because so much of, of the talk was about um, yeah. creating creating all, all the worlds. And right. it just seems like right now, all I, all I hear about or read about is disappearing worlds and well, from a physical perspective. That's a beautiful question to pose because it, it points back to the, the Zen teaching about uh, no arising, no perishing. The thing about disappearing worlds is you're turning the world into something fixed that arose and then it perishes. Mm -hmm. It goes against the organic, evolving, living thing. So we can see it in, in a more limited way, like certain worlds that that are do appear and disappear but the reality is and let's put it in the context of big disappearances like like the uh the previous mass extinctions the one 65 million years ago the impact of the asteroid that that took out dinosaurs and many many other uh, uh species there was there were lots of disappearance at that event, but you know things come back. Actually, that that death knell for dinosaurs opened the door for mammals to to come on the scene. We wouldn't be here if that asteroid hadn't have hit. You know, we wouldn't be having this discussion right now. Uh, there wouldn't be any mammals any, anywhere near our size. They'd still be the little shrew-like creatures that uh, didn't get any attention from the dinosaurs back in the day. And that would have been about the extent of mammalian uh, evolution. <laughs> so what, what seems like disappearance is just it, from another perspective, just an evolving process. And that's important to recognize. So whatever happens Tuesday with the election, it's part of an evolving process. Rather than getting all caught up, we get caught up in our worlds, fixated on them. Whether it's the, the, the Biden world or the Trump world, you know, to get so caught by them. It's not, and that's not to say we shouldn't have uh, be able to vote and, and make a decision about uh, 
about which candidate we think would be better, we'd be better served uh, to have in that position. I mean, I've certainly cast my vote. It didn't, having that broader understanding doesn't cripple you to where you can't act. But having made my choice, uh, you know, I have to be able to approach Tuesday from the standpoint of, well, what happens if Biden doesn't win? What, what does that mean? Does, uh, does civilization disappear, at least uh, within, within our 50 states? <laughs> and you know, I don't know, maybe it does. <laughs> that's one possible outcome. Uh, but even if that's what happens, you know, things, part of the, the overall scheme of things, people, things are going to continue because this is uh, impermanence. It's alive. It's, it's evolving. That's the nature of things. That's the richness of things. So it's really, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of the price we, we pay uh, for the beautiful things is that things change. And sometimes they change in ways that we would have preferred they not go in that direction. But that's with our limited view. And our view is always limited. Dogen teaches that. The limited view. Recognize that. And be able to see that actually in the long, longer run, maybe a Trump victory would be a great thing. And maybe mass extinctions clearly do serve a purpose, just like our individual deaths serve a purpose. It's so that new life can come forth. You know, if there was no death, there'd be no birth. We wouldn't be here either, All right? So, and that's, that's what we generally perceive as being the biggest bad thing. And, you know, the reason for that's clear. That that's the price we pay for this rich existence we're part of. So just to be able to uh, to not get fixated on things, that whatever view we have is a limited view. Uh, that whatever set of circumstances exists now is going to change. You know, these are important you know, things that, that really aren't, uh, aren't, aren't contestable. People generally don't contest those. And if somebody wants to debate those, or, I'd be happy to have that discussion <laughs> and see where that goes. But, you know, it seems pretty clear cut. Limited view, constant change. That's also known as a living, breathing world. And how do we get comfortable with that? so that we can exist in that without the constant dukkha. 
That's why dukkha is so prevalent because we never come to grips with that. We never come to terms with it. We're not there. Even though, you know, when we read about it, hear about it, we nod our heads. Yeah, yeah, yeah I get that. But we don't because we don't, we don't fan ourselves. <laughs> Fanning ourselves means we're, we're really practicing it. We do get it. Rather than just taking a teaching, well, that's the nature of things, but not fanning yourself. Then you're, you're going to stay hot and bothered. <laughs> but if you fan yourself, if you do practice, then you all of a sudden find that you're in accord with reality. And being in accord with reality doesn't create passivity, cripple us from taking action. Far from it. Actually, it should put us uh, on track with the Bodhisattva vows, and that becomes our guide. So we can be very clear about what, we're, what we sh should be doing in our world and to care for, for all worlds. But in that caring, to do it with wisdom, wisdom of the, the nature of all things. So as we talked about with uh, eco-dharma, I mean, with the environment, you know, clear what we need to be doing. But if it, if, if it doesn't work, you know, if there is a mass extinction, I mean, there's one underway currently, just a question of how, how bad will it get, but we're already in it. Then to have that, that recognition that uh, yeah, this, this planet has been through probably worse than we can possibly deliver to it. And look at the life around us now, or, or even maybe more to the point, the life that was around us many centuries ago, before the Industrial Revolution. So it's capable of, uh, of, uh, of, of creating worlds. It's a world-generating machine, you might say. <laughs> And, you know, we, we as enlightened, awakened beings, to, to appreciate it, to have that gratitude, comes back to that gr gratitude, generosity, dana uh, linkage. That having gratitude for the, the nature of reality, that it is constantly generating worlds. And we are open to it, we experience it, we, we're deeply grateful, then it naturally leads to our generosity back to all beings. It's the source of the Bodhisattva vows. That's ultimately the connection between prajna and compassion, loving kindness. If we see the way things are, we're going to 
we're going to take very good care of everything because we recognize what a beautiful gift it is. It's like yeah, when, when you get a gift, just in our human realm, you know, if you see how special it is, you know, we really take care of it. You don't just toss it in a corner somewhere. It's, this is precious. So to see it in that vein, what a, what a precious gift. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for the question. It was a good one. One last thing, even Mr. Bond was of the nature to have to say goodnight yesterday. Yeah, yeah. The original Sean Connery passed. Oh, yeah. No, I'm old enough. I was, I remember, still have a clear recollection of going to the, the neighborhood movie theater, the old Shaw Hayden Theater in East Cleveland to see Dr. No when it came out. I read all the Bond books. So, yeah, I mean, Sean Connery played a big role in my life, for sure. <laughs> he was a role model. May our intention penetrate every being and place with the true merit of Buddha's way. Beings are numberless, I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible, I vow 